0: Ooh!
1: All right. I'm drinking a beer today.
0: What a what a day. There there's probably a reason for the occasion.
1: This is the guilty verdict beer. This is the three counts. Guilty verdict. Community. Capital. Community. Capital. Put your money where the movement is. It's- I'm community. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm Capital.
0: So something like
1: that. We are recording. Thumbs up. What are we going to talk about today, Michael?
0: There is a lot of news. I think we should we should probably start with the guilty verdict because it does tie in with one of the jerseys sitting back there.
1: Where uh, it's the Kaepernick. Hold on, there it is. At, which you can't tell. Oh, there. Maybe you can. You can see the seven seven six. It's a very subtle reference he actually had sent i think his intention was serena would get one and i would get the other but i kept both of them because (laughs) i wanted two sevens on my wall but um yeah man i mean this is uh it's one step in the right direction and hopefully uh starts starts moving us in the right way well uh, hopefully
0: hopefully that the the moral arc of the universe is bending slightly towards justice in in the right direction
1: that's one of my favorite quotes, and I I do I want to believe it. I do hope so, and this is a good a good step in that direction. Yeah,
0: given the ties with someone like Colin Kaepernick, and how culture has now clashed with finance and investing, I think this is probably a good place to start, as as somber mm-hmm. as it is, uh, because right, if you th- you think about it, it was really in many respects Colin Kaepernick who. Uh, brought much of this to light, at least in the sports arena oh, yeah. uh, and him himself was uh, you know, was, was to some extent for, for lack of better term punished for it uh, for his career, but also was able to create a movement out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And I think what a lot of us are realizing, I mean, certainly I'll speak for myself. Like I, I remember his protests. I remember, I remember the conversation he was working to start and, I, I think at the time, I don't know. I, I, I appreciated it. I did not fully comprehend just what he was saying and and what this movement would become. And I don't know. I think it was, it was probably layers into it. Like I didn't even realize because he hadn't started out kneeling. He only started kneeling when he had spoken to another NFL player who was a vet, who said, hey, look, you know, I get what you want to protest and you have a right to do it, but the more respectful way to do it is to actually kneel during the anthem instead of just sitting down. And I didn't didn't know that until years and years later when that interview surfaced up. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Um, But, you know, his act of kneeling during the anthem started a discussion... Even a controversy within the NFL that eventually got him out of a job and uh, kept him out of the league, but he was right. He was right, and and he, you know, he was supported by athletes like Megan Rapino super early. Shout mm-hmm. out NWSL and Megan, as, especially as a kid who grew up such a diehard NFL fan. Um, when I was reflecting back last year. On just how right he was and just how meaningful it was a gesture for him to do what he did, I realized, damn, like this is someone who I need to be supporting um through whatever platform I've got. Um and I'd pledged You did. Yeah, well, I you know, and I'd also gotta know, admittedly, I'd gotten to know Colin over the years and really came to appreciate on a personal level the fact that like this is a very he is a soft spoken, humble dude. This is not someone who I think, at any point wanted to go out of his way to be a figurehead for of movement, but he found in himself the courage to do what he did and so yeah, you know, when I resigned in protest from the Reddit board, I had pledged uh, my first million uh of of sort of support from from gains from Reddit to uh, know your rights camp and uh, and then you know, I had a nice little uh <laughs> nice little payday on the coinbase iPO last week and so I called my wife and I was like, "Hey, had a good IPO day today." Uh, and then the next person I called was Colin, and I was like, "Hey, man, um, you know, I want to get a head start. I still am a, a ways away from liquidity on Reddit, but I've I've got I've done pretty well as an investor this week, and uh, and would love to to send over some shares. So yeah, we got that all done, and I think you saw my tweet, and uh, you know, he's going to do some good work with that. And, and hopefully it's just the start. So
0: what is, for those who don't know, what is the know, know your rights camp?
1: Ah, okay. So this was an organization that Colin had started gosh, quite a few years back. And the idea was telling children in particular in black and brown communities across the U.S. um, their rights. And this seems kind of basic until you realize that, that even the, the, a lot of the things that, you know, folks like you and I maybe take for granted don't necessarily apply to so many of these communities of color and whether it's their rights when it comes to interacting with a police officer to even their rights just as citizens. Anyway, really happy to be a a small part of that story. Uh, and happy to help what they're doing. And, and you know, they're going to do a lot of, I think, a lot of good work with that money um, to advance well-being of, of, you know, black and brown communities through through not just education, but also just self-empowerment and mobilization and and hopefully creating a new generation of leaders too who can, uh, you know, help bring up these communities.
0: Is there any way where, where something like Collins organization or
1: others end up bridging the gap and helping to educate? There's absolutely responsibility for those of us in communities of power to be able to figure out how to do this kind of work. I talk about de-radicalization a lot where, you know, online communities can sort of can stir up some of the worst sort of most toxic parts of society. But, but even the sort of like pre-de-radicalization, this idea of helping to create more empathy, helping to create more understanding, helping to sort of give our kids a kind of uh, uh, sort of vaccine um, to inoculate them against a lot of this at an earlier age, to give them more exposure and more understanding. How
0: does that happen in a world where many online communities become echo chambers?
1: I think on some level it becomes the responsibility of platforms. It becomes the responsibilities of of parents, responsibilities of, of educators. I think... There are different ways to attack it, uh, and I don't think there's going to be one way. I think it's multifaceted. I I hope going to be the legacy of what the internet can do, what technology can do, that it will bring more empathy and create more of this exposure. But it doesn't happen on accident, for sure, because it is our nature to fall back into those like-minded communities, for better and for worse. This is very...
0: topical because there was a tweet the other day by Patrick O'Shaughnessy, which I believe you responded to about the power of communities, right? So what is it about online communities that can be so powerful if used in the right way and as a force for
1: good? It is borderless. It is a chance to feel connection and community at scale that does not care about zip code or geography. And and. I think there's something really important about helping people feel a sense of community at scale, because where you might live might be devoid of people who who share your passion and share your interests, and every one of us deserves to feel this sense of belonging. And you know, geography has historically limited our species for hundreds of thousands of years, and we've gotten more accessible now, but. The internet really is what unlocks this exchange. And and I, and I do believe, right, online community is as or more meaningful to people than offline community. And, and you don't need to look much further than to see how much people care about total strangers. People fall in love with people they don't know beyond, like, a username and who they've not met in offline. I don't even like saying in real life. They've not met <laughs> offline Whereas there are people we might go and see every day at our office or at our church or down the road from us who we don't feel any sense of connection to on that same level. And, and that's the, the power of it.
0: Well, so this is interesting, right? Because
1: we, we've started up the
0: conversation talking about something that tangentially, and not to make light of the situation, but it was related to sports with what Colin Kaepernick did in protesting um, police brutality. There are obviously teams and communities that are connected to fans who support those teams, but may then not support a player. There are online communities, but you've also been involved in offline communities. You recently just invested into a w- women's football club. I-,
1: I call it football here, but no, it's a football club on this podcast. It's a football club.
0: Angel city FC. Right? Got the, I got the swag. You, you absolutely do. we in the shirt. How do you think about, the power of community when it comes to how fans can engage with athletes who become cultural icons and can represent a movement that can be so powerful culturally and something that many may want to follow or believe in.
1: I think what is so powerful about sport and those teams is it is the most easy way to fit in all of those kind of themes that I just talked about with like online communities into something that is quantifiable. You actually get wins and losses with a sports community and a sports team. You live vicariously through those players in a battlefield that is objective You know, there are ways to measure the influence and impact of communities online. It could be, you know, dollars raised. I remember the first Reddit fundraiser, or the first really noteworthy Reddit fundraiser for DonorsChoose.org, which raised, I think, a few hundred thousand dollars uh, just to get the attention of Stephen Colbert. Right. And there were a few moving pieces where the community said, okay, we need to get his attention. What's his favorite nonprofit? Okay, let's raise as much money as we can. Here we go. Here's a goal. And, Philanthropy is, for instance, a great way to get a community together to act and and sort of sign on to something. Um, And there are ways to quantify it, but they're they're pretty limited, right? It's either just sort of dollars or maybe members. Um, But what's great about sport is you actually establish some ground rules, you create a fairly level playing field, and then you get to battle it out. And my team is better than your team, and your team is better than my team. Um, But that team can have ideals and, and we've certainly thought about this a lot with Angel City. And I think to, to Julie and Natalie and Kara's credit, the founders, they knew they wanted to do something different. They knew that they wanted to set a standard, not just for women's uh, football or even women's sports, but for all sports. And I mean, they drew a line in the sand from day one, right? 10% of all brand deals have to get donated to, local, to supporting local nonprofits or local sort of community efforts. And so, right, this makes sense, right? Teams are based on a geography. If you're a brand like uh, DoorDash, I think that's public, which is one of our kids sponsors. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, you have to sign on to this idea that you're going to support the community in Greater Los Angeles through some way that you know makes sense. Um, but that ties together, even just an outside brand sponsor, which is normally not a very like, I don't know it. it it's not necessarily a very sort of symbolic or meaningful gesture, but you add. You say, look, not only is this team letting these women play and you know providing for salaries and all the other things with their partnership, but they're actually giving into the community as well. You're creating an interesting flywheel uh, that gets fans even more motivated, even more bought in and also just sets standards for the next partner for how, how they need to behave. How do you reconcile
0: generating revenues and making money for the club to keep it in existence? I mean, you watch... A, a show like Sunderland till I die. And it's a club that was the English Premiership I Club. That, watch was, this. that was a dying breed. Uh, and they were, I mean, so the club is like run, the blood run deep, uh, like through, through the Sunderland supporters. Right. And when they fell on hard times as a business, it became hard. They had to get new owners that might've changed the ethos. We saw it this week with the the short-lived european super league where <laughs> the,
1: yeah how did that happen
0: right where the, the the teams who are money-making enterprises do have investors and the game is now this is where the capital piece comes in because the game is now becoming financialized right there are now yeah, quick com- there, there are now investors who are set up for the sole purpose funds who take lp stakes in clubs and they have to They have to return capital to their investors. So the prospect of doing something like a European Super League and making, I think it was 300 million pounds a year instead of 150 million pounds a year in the Premiership for the Premiership clubs, that's a pretty juicy value proposition. But then what about the fans and the communities where this is, I mean, this is what football and sports to some extent really should be about. It's about the community. It's about investing in the community, supporting the community and being part of the community because it's been in existence for so long. And so how do you reconcile those two things?
1: This is one of the things that I think founding Reddit prepared me in a pretty unique way for, because that is just as much governance and sort of politics as it is business. And, and I think it is, if we believe this intersection of community and capital continues to, to evolve and manifest and grow then I think it just becomes the dominant narrative across so many different industries and businesses where, yeah, you're, I mean, Reddit in many ways is a very pure example of it. All these user-generated content sites are sort of the purest manifestation of this, which is your platform is essentially worthless without creators, without your users. Now that they have more and more leverage and will get more and more leverage with every passing day as these tools get better and better and access gets more and more democratized, you are just as much a CEO leading a company as you are almost a president leading a country. And uh, the analogy is a bit of a stretch because you're not like democratically elected, but, but it is, uh, a, you have to be making political decisions as much as you're making business decisions.
0: And, and I mean, that's why you've said, I think that every company is going to be a community-led company and we'll need a head of community. Do you just, out of curiosity, does Angel City have a head of
1: community? <laughs> of course they do. Okay. Uh, and, and one of the things that I think to Julie's credit, she understood early was, and this is unique with sports. I mean, this kind of exists with popular, no, I mean, this is, this is pretty unique to sports where there are supporters groups who are fan run clubs. There's three big ones for Angel City so far. Hopefully there'll be even more. But each one of those supporters groups is its own sort of mini culture that is under the umbrella of the broader club. And, and every, every club's supporters groups are their lifeblood. And, and so part of it is not just understanding the community of the entire fan base, but specifically those clubs. And then still knowing, okay, again, I'm really stretching this metaphor. There's like the, there's like the Senate and the House. And you have to accept that there's, it's really important to still have your broad fan base, even if they're not part of a supporters group feel like an invested part of the community. But the supporters groups are a very important, very influential part of it. And finding that balancing act between doing what's right for the entire fan base versus just these, is it, it's the nature of it.
0: You know what this almost feels like? Is it almost mm. feels like the cult followings that the best companies in the startup world, like Stripe has its own mm. cult followers within FinTech who may, may, may or may not be affiliated cult. with Stripe, but just love Stripe. And we'll talk about it on Twitter too, right? And it's like Mosaic Seventeen Eighty One fan group or the Valkyries, right? Like you want them to be rabid supporters, and it sounds yeah. like they may be different in their in their group construction and community, uh, like fan base and and makeup, but they all probably have a common goal of wanting to see Angel City do well.
1: And that's what's wild, right? It there is a model for supporters groups throughout sport right this has been around for a long time especially football clubs this is as old as time the idea of a bunch of people who love stripe so much or rome right this is a note taking app that has a hashtag rome cult cult yep it's very interesting and i and i think very much a bellwether of what's to come because if there are people who can be as obsessed with a note taking app <laughs> as with a football club what you're seeing is real, right? That's not, there, there's a ton of companies that are sort of in the middle that are absolutely going to have to have some version of that.
0: I'm waiting for the day that the key KPI for Angel City, but also for <laughs> tech companies, is number,
1: uh, number of fans or customers with tattoos. Yes. I mean, I, look, I still, I remember Fernando Takai. Who is he? I've never met him in person. He's the first person on the planet, as far as I know, who got a Reddit tattoo. And I know that because I remember stumbling on his Flickr. This is like 2006, 2007. This is early days of Reddit. And he had gotten a tattoo of this alien that I drew, this like Jedi-style version of Snoo on his abdomen. <laughs> and I hope he doesn't regret that tattoo now all these years later. This was a big deal. This was the first person I had ever seen. And i would gotten to see... you know, I've been fortunate enough to see lots of Reddit tattoos since. But... This is the first person I've ever seen taking something I just created as a college kid and put on their body forever and it was such a sign that we were onto something and uh, and yeah I, I mean you joke about it, but I actually think it's not quite I wouldn't quite make it a KPI, but it's it's meaningful.
0: So is the takeaway from all of this and, and no offense to your artistic skills but get wow. a really good brand designer Th- Thank you,
1: Emily Kolodny. Oh yeah, there you go. Emily did do a great job with with Comex cap. That has something to do with it. I think it's, <laughs> it is brand and, and whatnot was massively undervalued back in 2005. I think it's, I'd say it's properly valued now, um, but it's, uh, it's pretty wild to see, man. It is a metric of sorts. And, <laughs> and I think the bigger story here is, right, it's actually, it's okay, having a not terrible brand helps. But building that relationship is why they get the tattoo, not just because it looks looks cool. What
0: it also means is that fans care so much about what you're doing that they're willing to really support this thing. And we saw that this week with the, I mean, I got plenty of texts from my friends who are Liverpool supporters, and they couldn't believe this. Uh, and I mean, we saw like the the fans in the movement prevailed over capital. Right. I mean, I I am I I am the capital guy, but I I wanted community to win in this regard. Yes. Good. I mean, football (laughs) should be about the community. Right. But but it's it shows the power of the movement. I think this this does get to like, how do companies and corporations now have to think about the movement and how does the how does the movement hold corporations or companies accountable?
1: That is something that I think almost solves itself. I think there is this organic energy, thanks to social media, thanks to the ubiquity of social media, that really drives this home like i'm I'm almost not even worried about it because one way or another, there are enough tools that exist that it can bubble up and then Actually, what makes me, I think, what, what's more imperative. So the reason the reason we led that last round in CommSore, right now, there's a glut of different things around community and social and lots of places to have touch points with your customers. But there's no one overarching way to really track it and monitor it. The sort of sales force of community type software and uh, enter CommSore. Um I do think that's going to simplify. I think new platforms are going to emerge that are dedicated for this. And some of them will be managed by the companies themselves in the same way that like a company might manage their own a slack of, you know, sort of top developers or community members. Uh, there's going to be some some software for that as well.
0: How managed do you want this versus completely organic groundswell of just the community, pushing a company forward when people love the product or the, or the experience in the case of a sports team so much?
1: Okay, if you're having a successful business or a business that affects enough people, you're gonna have the bottom up, people are gonna hack it, right? They're gonna find ways to talk about your business, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. And so I would always lean into owning as much of the experience as you can because you'd much rather do it sort of on your turf And not just because of like control, but because you can actually be more proactive because you can actually do more to engage and say, look, like we really do care. Here are the things we are doing. Here's the work we're doing to support you. And that just makes makes a meaningful difference.
0: Yeah. So so does that mean that sports teams need to think about things differently? Because traditionally, right, it's been owners at the top and then, you know, they kind of run the teams as they want. But then when you see something like what happened with the European League, where the fans actually...
1: yeah Wait, so what happened, Michael? Because I only saw a few headlines. I heard a bunch of dope teams leave, form their own league, and then the next day, just kidding, that's not happening. What actually happened?
0: So, I mean, I'm only getting this from, from what I've seen and from a number of angry, rabid Liverpool supporters uh, who love their club. And b- by the way, right. Liverpool... Their their club their their club motto is you'll never walk alone.
1: Oh, that's nice. So
0: Hmm. it is right. It is it is nice.
1: Was it ironic though? Because they were making their fans walk alone.
0: (laughs) Incredibly incredibly ironic, right? So like they're basically it was the top teams in. The various European leagues. So, and, and mind you, we have a Champions League where people have to qualify. So you have to be in the top three or four, depending on the league, or two uh, of your league in your country. European Premier League, the you know Italian Serie A, the uh, Bundesliga, etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: Bundesliga. Right. So you have to
0: qualify. So so your play on the field determines whether or not you end up in the champions league and the champions league is kind of, it's, it's where all the marbles are, right? Cause you're the crown of Europe. Uh, and, and that's, that, that's oftentimes like the, the, the biggest, the, the pinnacle, at least in, in European football, but there were 12 teams who from various leagues. So Real Madrid, Barcelona, I think Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, uh, Juventus, uh, Inter Milan, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, and Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool, and they were all going to break off and form this European Super League where they could not be relegated, unlike the Premiership. So every every league in they got earn it every year pyramid. They have a pyramid, right? So you can be you can get promoted if you're in below the Premiership, the Championship, uh, in the UK. And if you perform well and you're in the top of that division, you'll end up getting promoted. If you perform poorly in the premiership, then you'll get demoted to the championship. And you, every year, you got to show up, right? Much like a startup and building a company, you gotta, you got to show up every year. And if you don't show up and you don't put out a good product, then people won't use your product and may not work. So basically, all these clubs, they had a massive money-making opportunity, Uh, To the tune of, I think it would have been 2x what they would have made uh, in the Premiership. And again, they can't get relegated. So no matter what, uh, no matter their performance, and not only that, and I think this is what drew the ire of many fans, is that imagine if you're a fan of one of the teams in the UK, Tottenham Hotspur uh, or Liverpool or whatever. You have to then travel to Europe to see many of your team's games rather than stay oh, in UK and yeah, play for, yeah. for the partnership. And I think over the past 48 hours, it looks like, uh, there's been so much uproar and the, the different governing bodies have gotten involved to the point where, uh, they threatened the the club saying that you know if you uh if if players play in these leagues, they won't be eligible to play in the World Cup and things like that, mm-hmm. and many of the clubs uh, have decided to pull out and not participate and there's actually been massive um, there's been massive aftermath uh, a kind of le- of ruins left in the wake where I believe Manchester united's uh club president resigned uh. And there's some, I think there's some serious collateral damage that has resulted from this in many parts because they didn't listen to the community.
1: See, and this, this to me feels like something that totally would have worked 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, because what channel would the fans have had, right? there, There would have been, I mean, sure, there's some local media coverage here and there, but without the groundswell of the internet up in arms... I don't know, 20 years ago, for sure, it would have happened. 10 years ago, I think they might have still been able to pull it off, but not today.
0: Well, look at the rise of social media platforms and, and the ability for dissemination of information, people to see what's happened, right? We've seen it with Arab Spring in the political arena. We've now seen it in the sports arena, right? And I think in in fairness, <sighs> to just to state the other side of the case,
1: if you... Yeah, what is the other... What's the other... What's the argument?
0: Here's the argument. I... I, I don't agree with it, but here's the argument. European football clubs are some of the most valuable football football clubs, or for that matter, professional sports teams yeah, in the world. in the world, right? for sure. Many of these, like Manchester United, massive following in Asia. Liverpool, massive following in Asia. These are global, global phenomenons, global fan bases who make tons of money in all sorts of ways, merchandise, branding, sponsorships, et cetera. They look at their U.S. counterparts – in the NFL, the Mm. NBA, even the MLS, where all of those leagues do not have relegation. relegation. They are not pyramids. And from that perspective, they're looking at those leagues saying, wait a minute, all these players and owners end up monetizing every year by virtue of staying in the league. And they don't have to compete for the Champions League and Champions League is primetime TV. I think this is actually probably one of the big, Questions that sports going to have to face as they also integrate and think about the community piece of this. I mean, this truly is the collision of community times capital. It really is. Sports yeah. are financializing in a way where people are investing in these clubs expecting to generate a return on their investment, and there are funds who are investing in these clubs expecting to generate a return on their investment. But then, how do you reconcile that with supporting the communities? and supporting the fans, many of whom are their customers. And that is, to some, ex- to some extent, not the only extent, but to some extent how they
1: monetize. I think, in many ways, this is why this is the right podcast for us to be doing right now, because it's everywhere. And, and this is a wild one, because I almost I, it's hard for me to have too much sympathy, especially now that I've just learned the details of everything, for these clubs that broke away, because they have no excuse to not understand the value of community. They're in the business of community. Like the whole, right, every time they sell a kit, it's because of the community. Every time someone gets the tattoo, it's clearly bigger than just them in the front office.
0: And to make it even more visceral, and this is one of the reasons why I love English football, these stadiums were literally built in the middle of these communities. You go to you go you go to Liverpool. Everton Stampton. Stadiums literally in that part of the community you go to liverpool stadium it's in the community and and these fans literally like there are there are flats literally right next to these stadiums and like people grow up like watching their favorite team just out the window right and i mean that is the definite the visceral definition
1: of community how do you betray and abandon that wow spicy. How do you not realize that that's a problem? But that is, I think that's generational. I think it's, it's just sort of typical, maybe business is just being out of touch, but like, no way. No way is that happening. Now that I fully understand the depths of it, I really love this as an example. Because in 2021, you have no excuse to be caught off guard by this, but, but clearly it still happens. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see the fallout now Here's the other part of it. Okay, this is the gifts and the curse. Once the fan base has a taste for that power, for that leverage, they will not forget it. And, and that becomes really interesting as we watch this all start to evolve. You're bringing up a really, really interesting point, which is
0: that... And again, I, I can only think of this as a fan, not as not as an, an owner's hat. that's the only experience I've had in that respect. But I think, I wonder how much owners have taken for granted that people who grow up supporting teams will always continue to support that team. But our favorite football, uh, Washington bro,
1: dude, we, we talk yeah, about a team that's taken we it for granted
0: to shed ourselves of that. We just can't, <laughs> we can't support We can't not
1: support the Washington football team because we grew up with it. Programming dude, it hundred percent, hundred percent. And that has such value. There is no one or only an irresponsible parent would be like, Alexis, come here. Come here, sit on my knee. Let me tell you the story of Stella Artois. When you were just a little boy, Stella Artois made Papa so happy that year in 2004. Like, no, it doesn't happen, right? They're, brands do not have the storytelling capability where communities and families are willing to say, no, you will always support Stella Artois. I mean, maybe in some really messed up family situations, (laughs) but that's what sports is, right? It is the normalization of indoctrinating youth for a brand that has such value that I 100% agree owners have taken for granted for way too long, way too long.
0: And how do you break away from that? They have to be run like a business. And so because of that, they do need to find ways to make money. Now, doesn't mean they should leave their fans behind. But it does bring up the question of how do you balance those two things? Because now to your point, owners cannot take advantage or take for granted that people will still continue to support their team.
1: The challenge for an owner today is balancing out, again, this just I'm just flashing back to Reddit. I mean, it's, it's balancing out the very vocal minority and the silent majority of your fans. And, and this is where I think data helps tie back to come or this is where data helps because then you really understand okay who of my fans are the ones committing dollars or committing eyeballs or committing like engagement and content around what I'm building and again that's not the only decision maker but it has a big influence right then it starts to add some nuance to this which is like okay who are the fans of our community who are the ones that are most incensed by a decision? And then how does that overlap with actually the bottom line? Because it may not have anything to do with it. Or it might be core. What you're also getting at is, which is really interesting, is the, the globalization of everything.
0: So what if you could attract fans? I have no ties to Bolton, other than going right. there as a 17 year old and watching them play. But in a globalized world where people can, over Twitter or other online mm-hmm. communities, maybe Gloria for football, yeah, yeah. people can connect. And teams can connect with fans. Players can connect with fans. Does this create sports teams without borders in the same way that we've seen the world kind of become more borderless?
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and you need to look no further than esports because there are clubs. Obviously, I'm a cloud nine investor and a big fan. But, I mean, 100 Thieves is a great example of a club that's L.A. based that has supporters all over the world who have never lived in L.A., who've never been to L.A., who maybe don't even have any interest in L.A., but have such an attachment to the club because esports was the first time you unshackled franchises from geography. And so some of the teams definitely do have that, and like the Overwatch League worked really hard to tie you know, geography to a club. but But that's a metaphor from a bygone era when we were limited by our ability to move.
0: For the sake of creating some spiciness and again I don't agree with this but let's go if that if that's the world that we're moving to with esports then if I'm Manchester United's owner or Liverpool's owner I would look at that and say well hey why can't I create a European Super League and be part of that because I can get fans all over the world now and I don't I don't need to have fans just in my community for my my, my club to still be a valuable brand and a brand that people that people associate with
1: so I totally get the logic and in fact, I think if that is the proposal, we're going to create a new league and we're creating new teams for that league. And this new league is now going to have to pull talent like they do through free agency. Very different proposition. Now, of course, that is way fucking harder. <laughs> <laughs> and and you sort of have to get over the, the sunk cost of having a club that has players and a brand and identity all that stuff. So it's, it's a bit of an impossibility. I think that logic is right. I just think they undervalued just how important it was to have that existing fan base. And look, that is probably one of the greatest strengths of being, I don't know, I'm again biased, but the greatest strength of having a club like Angel City is we have a sport that everyone in the world loves. We have access to the very best athletes in the world who play it. That is, you know, the women of the United States, the NWSL, but then also a platform where we can start from the internet. To attract fans globally from day one that has the ethos of LA that obviously attracts fans who want to come and, you know, come watch matches, but can start from day one thinking we're a global brand. And and esports did it because obviously, you know, the internet global, there's no precedent uh, for for video games. But I think it's going to be a much harder transition for all the incumbent sports that have that sunk cost as well as the the real community that's actually tied to the physical world.
0: Well, the other thing here, too, is how do players attract fans from all over the world now, too, right? The balance of power has, in some senses, shifted to the player from the teams or the owners. So yeah, very much can so. specific players given their story on or off the field, I mean, there, there may have to bring it back to to Colin. Like if Colin were to, to join a team again, there may be people who love what he did so much that mm. they would support that team because he's on the team or another cultural yeah. icon, right? It, it could be, I mean, LeBron James, there are people who may have been, I, I don't know. I, it'd be really interesting to see actually if there were Cavs fans, who were in love with LeBron James and then he went to LA if they would support him and support LA because, because they
1: just love LeBron James or if that would not be true. Anecdotally, I think so. And certainly from his time in Miami, I feel like there were Miami LeBron fans who still support him in LA. We're at a weird place because we are still from the pre-internet generation where we grew up with that very like that main line of like you live in the DMV you're you're uh, a DC fan where our kids i think uh, like my daughter is only going to have a concept of individual players who happen to play for clubs and so it's going to be way more sort of i don't know what's the word like her fandom is going to be way more of a free agency <laughs> Uh, when it comes to supporting clubs. How do
0: teams adapt to that, right? Because, like, to put numbers in context, LeBron James has, I think, 77-plus million Instagram followers. I, I don't know how many Instagram followers the LA Lakers have, but I would bet that LeBron has more. Russell Wilson, he has as many Instagram and Twitter followers as his two neighbors in Seattle, Amazon and Microsoft. Yeah. Right? So, like, these players are literally as followed as corporations, if not more. So how did teams reconcile all of that?
1: Yeah, LeBron is crushing the Lakers, four times as many followers. Okay, but these teams are not digital native. And, and so I do think a club like ours and some of these other esports examples have an edge because they're thinking about creating content, they're thinking about building a brand, they're thinking about building a community using the same best practices as the players are. So I think there's a little bit more parity. But for sure, it forces us as a club to think about what our values are, what our brand is, what our community stands for, because our players will too. And and that also is going to go into the the sort of calculus of even just signings, because it won't just be about who can help our team win on the pitch. It's also going to be about who helps our team win off the pitch. And, And I think that is also a much more honest kind of relationship between the, the value of the players and the value of the teams. I mean, there's, again, this is the advantage of being a more nascent league that's been really undervalued because the players are actually bringing so much of the value to the table, right? It's not like the Lakers can make the argument that like, yes, LeBron is amazing, but the Lakers organization has all these relationships with all these brands and all these things that that show up. And the history. And, and a history and a legacy, Precisely. But for the next generation clubs and leagues, it is much more in concert with the players, which I think is, it's obviously a lot of great leverage for the players and for savvy teams is a symbiotic relationship. Uh, And it's, it doesn't need to be. um, It's certainly not a zero sum type type setup. Um, But I got to go to dinner, man. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know what we're having. I'm not on dinner duty tonight. So. We'll see what the miss is uh, is cooking up because it's not me. You know it's gonna be good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that tonight on Instagram. All right. Deal, man.